0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we come before you and thank you for being there, for hearing our cries and our petitions, for accepting us in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, for abiding with us, for the hope of the resurrection. For the anticipation of being with you in glory. Until that time we beg that you would tabernacle with us according to the promise of your word. In Jesus name, Amen. We left off this morning looking at the root word of this compound word of very highly, and we have been seeing, we've got a few more verses to show that this word in itself means to be uh, beyond measure or superfluous or greatly in abundance. Look at John 10. John 10. Jesus said in the 10th verse, John 10.10, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This is our foundational word. More abundantly. Romans chapter 3. We see... God using the word here as we read this morning in verse 1. What advantage, the word advantage, then hath the Jew? or what profit is there of circumcision? There was great, great, great advantage in the Jews having the Scriptures and the Word of God when the rest of the Gentile world did not. Beloved, it's a great advantage that we have the word of God. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse one. Paul says, For touching the ministering to the saints it is. Superfluous for me to write unto you. There's the word. Superfluous. Superfluous. All right. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I might remind you again that we're talking about this root word without the uh without the uh compound uh, well let's just look at uh, ephesians chapter three verse twenty. 320. Now, to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now, we have the word in its compound form. In this verse, as well as the word itself. And then in First Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 13, no, excuse me, verse 10. Paul said, "Praying night and day, exceedingly, that, your, that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith." So we see here it is used in this more abundant way. This particularly in. Ephesians 3.20, exceeding abundantly above. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul said they prayed exceedingly. And here we see in 5.13 where we started. These are the three places where the Greek word is used with both prepositions. With both prepositions. We have an English word that is called uh, hyper. You know what it is for someone to be hyper? Well, that word hyper comes from this first preposition huper. And then there's a word out of that's ek. So, what we have here with this uh, to be esteemed, to the ministers being esteemed very highly is again this idea of hyper ek perisuo. In other words, like we said, super duper, super duper. By the way, I want to say again, I forgot it when I began preaching, uh, in case somebody listened to this sermon and have first and haven't heard the other two sermons, uh, uh, I'm preaching this more to show the fullness of the way that a minister is to be treated, uh, not that this congregation here is lacking because this congregation has always done well. And so I want to clear that up in case might have the other. But I want us to look at this word that's used with only the preposition of huper. In other words, we've got huper, Ek Perusio. Well we've been looking at Perusio. We saw in Ephesians three to twenty and first Thessalonians three ten along with first Thessalonians five thirteen where it is Huper Ek Perusio That's the highest. But let's look at the middle one, for example, of where it just has the Hooper by itself in Romans 5.20. This should mean something to you. Romans 5.20 Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There it is. Much more abound. So you see that God, through uh, using the Apostle Paul, uh, by the way, let me say this lest I forget it. If I remember correctly, this word... Uh, Perusio that has two prepositions in front of it, if I remember correctly, the apostle Paul is the only person that they found that ever used that combination of words and it's, in other words, Paul made up a word, and he had this he has this word that is teeming. That is, it is full beyond measure in and of itself. But in order to show it as He did in Romans 5.20 that we just read with Huper on it and so that there it is much more abound Paul puts the ek into it, as we would say again, as we said this morning, super duper. Super duper. And I mentioned this morning the uh, uh, the adverbial Greek form of this same word, Uh I'm not going to take the time to look at all of those. Uh, I will say that uh, it's only used a few times. It is in Matthew 3.23, where it's translated the more. Mark 10.26, out of measure. And Acts 26.11, exceedingly. But I would like to look at a verse in the Old Testament regarding this, the use of this word and concept in uh, Daniel chapter 3 from the Septuagint. You remember... Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they did not bow down to the king's statue. And if anybody didn't bow down, they were to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And when they were confronted by Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, we're not going to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 19, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the here it is, and the furnace exceeding hot, the word exceeding there. The flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you see the idea of the intensity of the Word. And Paul takes the intensity of this Word and intensifies it two times more, as we might say. He didn't just just double it. He doubled and doubled. And beloved... This is what God says concerning the ministry, in First thessalonians five and 13, to esteem, and we saw that word, how it has the idea of giving great uh, reverence to one in authority, esteem. And to esteem the ministry very highly. In love for their work's sake. Very highly. I tell you, for a man full of pride, it would be a dangerous place for a minister to be. For a congregation to give such esteem, can you imagine a man full of pride and a congregation esteeming him very highly and so on? I mean it just it just make his pride swell up so much he just pop wide open. <laughs> but frankly, as I said this morning, I cannot imagine the thought of someone treating me such, and yet I know that I've got enough pride in me that if God were to leave me to myself, I would covet, I would covet such I pray God never leaves me to myself. But I pray that instead of looking at the words that we have been looking at, uh, not only from last Lord's Day afternoon, even this morning and this afternoon as well, I pray that looking at such words as to how uh, a minister should be considered that it would, what's the word I'm looking for? That it would exhort me to be a better minister. That it would Cause an imperative. You know what an imperative is? It's a command. That, that it would be an imperative to my soul to conduct myself in such a way that I would not not only not be a false prophet, but I wouldn't live hypocritically. Instead of puffing me up, I would pray that such language would humble me. To me, it should. But there's another passage that we introduced this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we want to look at this. Somewhat this afternoon, first Timothy chapter five, particularly verses seventeen and eighteen, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor. In the Word and Doctrine. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. The Word rule, the elders that rule well, Means to stand before. That is, is standing before someone as to preside or to be over them. Now I'm not going to take the time. We looked at the word esteem this morning, how that it has the idea to rule. But this is a different word that has the idea to rule. But without being too tedious, I'm just going to give you the verses that you can look at on your own later instead of looking at them for you or with you. It's only used eight times. But if we had not, looked extensively as we did this morning at these other verses, we probably would not look at these this afternoon. But it's Romans twelve eight, First Thessalonians 5.17, and I will just stop there for just a moment and and turn back and read that because that can't be right. No, it's five twelve, not five seventeen. It's five twelve. You no, know, we we were looking at thirteen particularly. But in First Thessalonians five twelve, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labour among you and are over you in the Lord. That's the word that we find. For this word, the elders that rule well. So there, back in 1 Thessalonians five twelve and 13, you had the word over, which means to rule. We had the word esteem, which means to rule. And then you had the word uh, very highly, which means in great abundance. And then the word is used again for rule. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 4, 5, 12, and 17, which is in our text. And then it's used in Titus, chapter 3, verse 8, and verse 14, where there is translated maintain. Now, I want to say again, lest someone... Take these verses that we're using without looking at a lot of other verses in the Scriptures with regarding to the authority of the New Testament congregation or church. The ultimate authority is in the congregation, and the minister's authority goes no further than that of the Holy Scriptures. The congregation does is not to bow down to the minister just at his whelm. I'll just say if a congregation is talking about uh, uh, putting down some carpet the minister doesn't have the last word on what color. You see what I'm talking about? Uh, Too many ministers wind up being a dictator and sometimes it happens by default. And I'll give you what I'm trying to say in this. Sometimes the congregation will not take the responsibility that they should and leave it up to the minister. And by doing that, it gets to the point that the minister just starts making the decisions. Early in my ministry, as a young minister and very very green we we had a business meeting and the year before the the congregation was uh, was part of a group of congregations that made up an association. And the year before, it was brought up in the associational meeting to disband the association. Because uh, the problem had gotten to be where the association was becoming rulers over congregations which was not right, and many ministers and people saw that and saw that the association was, in effect, doing more harm than good. But they didn't want to stop congregations getting together and meeting, and so they decided that instead of having an association... They would just have a, a yearly meeting and, uh, and it would circulate around from one congregation to the other and kindly, if Congregation A was in charge of it, then they'd kindly just uh, was the preaching committee and things of that nature. But anyway, I don't want to get off into all of that. But it was brought up the year before that consider... Uh, banning the association and give all of the congregations opportunity to discuss it for a year and then come back and vote to see whether uh, we wanted to keep the association or not. So a year had passed. I tried to bring it up from time to time and couldn't get much discussion Kindly one-on-one in the people's homes and so on. But anyway, it came down to the time and we had our business meeting and after we had gotten through with all the other business, I don't know that we even had any, you know, uh, we may have had, might not have had. But anyway, I brought up, I said, well now, uh, the association is coming up uh, next week. How does the congregation want to instruct Uh, No, first of all, (laughs) uh, let me go back. I'm getting ahead of myself. First of all, I said, uh, who does the congregation want to send for delegates to the association? Here I am standing up, young whippersnapper, moderator, moderator, Nobody saying anything. Deathly silence. So after what it seemed like an eternity, I asked the congregation, I said, "Well, do you want me to appoint uh, some men uh, to go to the uh, to be delegate for the association? Yes, yes. Yes, that's what they wanted me to do. So I started going around uh, delegating. We had to have three and one alternate. And I'd call on a man to ask if he would go. I pray have me to be excused. Ask another, I pray to have me be excused. On and on and on. I don't remember how many uh, we went through. Seemed, uh, but, you know, some of them said, no, we're not going to go. Uh, I doubt we're going to go, so you don't need to have me. And, and some of those that said they weren't going to go wound up at the association. Then I said, well, who's going to go? And it wound up being four women. Well, that infuriated me right then when men wouldn't be men and throwing it off on women. And the four ladies that were assigned to be the delegates for the association were very, very, very godly women. I had no problem in their wisdom. I had no problem in their virtue uh, in every way. My whole issue is men are to be the leaders. But that's a whole other sermon. So after the, the delegates were selected, now notice all this time, who's doing the selecting? Me. And then I said ask the congregation, How do you want to instruct the delegates to vote on this issue that's coming up? You want them to vote to keep the association or disband the association? Guess what happened? Another eternity of silence. So again, the minister winds up making the decision. This is what I'm saying that sometimes if a congregation goes on like this long enough, you can see how the minister winds up being almost a dictator when he shouldn't be because the congregation didn't do what they ought. But anyway, let's go on with this story. And finally, I said, do you want the delegates to vote as they deem fit? Whatever they think they ought to do. The congregation, yeah, that's what they wanted to do. Let let, let the ladies uh, vote however they want to. And one old dear sister, only time I ever knew her speaking up, not only in the congregation, except to maybe select a song, but more so in a business meeting, tremblingly tremblingly raised her hand, and I acknowledged her, and she said, Brother Barber, I don't want that responsibility. And I called her by name, dear sister. I said, while I agree that you should not have to have that responsibility. And while I believe that men should have been in the place instead of women. I said, you go ahead as this congregation has instructed, and you vote however you deem necessary, and if I hear anybody saying anything to the contrary, or don't like it, I will publicly rebuke them from the pulpit. And I would have. I didn't last very long anyway. But I say all of that to say this, You can see how this inexperienced minister to begin with winds up start is making decisions and if a congregation allows a minister to make decisions long enough, finally he just you know, he doesn't even think anything. He he could be totally innocent and just say, Well, I know how everybody wants to do, we'll go ahead and do it this way. I can publicly say this congregation, as small as it is, if I think there's something that we need to do or we might need to do it one way or the other, I always ask. I don't just take it on my own. I ask. I'm afraid to do otherwise. I don't want to be... I don't want to be labeled a dictator. don't even want want to be in that position. Frankly, I wouldn't even want to make any decision at all. (laughs) We are about to have a meeting, and uh, they've asked me to kindly... Uh, coordinate getting the meals together, and we kind of know which restaurants we're going to uh, order the stuff from. And that kind of gets me shook up just having to do that. <laughs> I'd rather let somebody else do it. <laughs> uh, I'm a slacker. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I, I said all of that to say that even though we're talking about the place and the authority Of a minister, all of that needs to be well grounded as well as well guarded. But what about this double honor? Well, first of all, note what the verse is saying. The, the the minister does not just simply rule over in and of itself. But notice what it says. Well, I, I can't even... Uh, That he labors I thought it was in this, it might have been in First Thessalonians. Let me check that right quick. Uh, yes, in first Thessalonians five twelve it said we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. It didn't say they labor over you, they labor among you. Showing that the minister is only laboring within the congregation. And he labors among those that he serves. That is that he toils and is weary and works hard to the point of being fatigued in laboring in the Scriptures and ministering to the saints. And I can assure you that if a man really studies the Word like he ought to, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to drain him mentally. And sometimes it may drain him physically. But that's what he ought to do. That's what he ought to do. Double honor. The interpretation of this phrase is determined by the meaning of the word tima or honor. That's translated honor. He's to receive whatever it is, it's without question that it is to be doubled. The word is used 43 times in 42 verses, and 33 times it's translated honor, eight times price, one time sum, and one time precious. Now we're not going to look at all 42 verses, but let's look at a few. I don't know that we will get through with this this afternoon. We may, but either if we we don't, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe it means double pay. I believe that's what he's talking about. You say, well, what if a congregation can't do that? Well, then they're not obligated to do do it. They can't do what they can't do. And some congregations are so small that the minister has to work himself. I've been in congregations where I was blessed not to be able to work, not have to work outside the ministry. Uh, I always, when I was in, uh, in a situation like that, I figured if the men of my congregation had to go to work for eight hours a day, I need to spend at least... Eight hours a day in the Word. Why should I expect the men to have to work and me lay around and be lazy? But let's look look at this word honor. Matthew twenty seven. Matthew 27, verse 6, and the chief priest took the silver pieces and said it is not lawful for to, to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And then in verse 9, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver and the price of him that was valued whom they of the children of Israel did value. So you see that this word as used in these two verses carries the idea of the value of money. John chapter 4. Verse 44. For Jesus Himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. There, obviously, it doesn't mean money. It just has the idea of prestige. I'm trying to be... As open and as fair (laughs) on the meaning of this word as possible. Acts chapter four, verse thirty four. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. Here again carries the idea of monetary value. This word for honor. 5, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. But Peter said unto Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back back part of the price? There's the word of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? Excuse me, I should have read verse 2 and 3, not 3 and 4. And kept back part of the price, his wife being previous. So the word price in verses 2 and 4 carries the idea of monetary value. That's this word for honor. Chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 16. and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Imor, the father of Shechem. But here again you see the idea of monetary value. Acts 19. Verse 19. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price, the honor, the price of them, and found it fifty pieces of silver. Acts 28. Verse 10, well let's go back and read, this is when Paul and them were stranded on the island of Miletus, verse 9, so when this was done, that is when Publius was sick, when Paul prayed for him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. Now, that could be, and most likely, they shired gifts on them. Don't know that there was money. Might have been fruits. Might have been uh, clothes. Might have been who knows what. And it might have been that they just and that they gave them esteem too. All right, Romans two. To them who by patience, continuance, and well doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. There the word honour would have to do with prestige, not monetary value. What I'm trying to show is that this word honor, in Act uh, in First Corinth in First Timothy five, seventeen, can mean the idea of just showing uh, prestige to him, uh, but it also could be monetary uh, substance. And we're going to have to look at the context. But I'm trying to be as as uh, open as I can with the word itself. There in Romans, uh, uh, verse 10 of Romans 2. Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. There it is used again. Romans 9, 21. Hath not the potter over the clay Excuse me, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Chapter 12 of Romans, verse 10 Be kindly affection one to another, in brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 7. Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. First Corinthians 6, and verse 20. For you are bought with a price, There it is, the word honor, price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Chapter 7 and verse 23. You are bought with a price. Be ye not servants of men. There it is again. So, uh, what we have used here, we have only looked at the first 18 times the word is used. That's the first 18 times which gives you a good sample that it could mean just prestige or it could have reference to monetary value. But I would like to look at First Peter chapter 2 where this word is used. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. There's that same word used, spoken of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I said, while the word honor in First Timothy 5.17 may simply refer to esteem, it may also be referring to double pay. Now, to look at this in some more detail, I'm going to stop because we'll run over. And Lord William, we'll come back to this next Lord's Day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that these messages will have meaning to all who hear. When we see, that is we as ministers, see the position that you have put us. I pray that it would cause us to humble ourselves more than being puffed up. I pray that it would be with those who are taught in the Word that they might realize their responsibility in providing monetary support for those who teach them, if at all possible. We have known people in the past that were so poor. That at times they had nothing to give. But they gave what they could. They gave of themselves. Thou knowest my father. That I am currently thinking of that dear old sister that I've spoken of many times. Sister Annie Hinson. The blessing that I've had of being in her home she did have running water, but no hot water. Did not have a bathtub of home decor, but it's just an oblong galvanized wash tub. What a blessing, my God, to live or to abide or to be with such a saint that would cook so much and provide so much that it's almost taken army to consume it all. Yes. While the ministry is to occupy a place as an ambassador for you. Standing in your stead. To be honored and reverenced in a way not to equal Christ. No, no, no. But one as a minister of the Most High God. We've lost that, Father. Would you not have mercy and grant repentance that the ministry might once again conduct themselves in such a way that they might be a shining light in the community where they live? Open my eyes, Father, and grant me repentance that I might be what I ought to be in the community where I abide as well among the congregation that I serve. In Jesus' name, amen.